You are listening to the Living Way Church podcast. For more information about Living Way Church, go to livingwaychurch.cc. Today we continue uh, top secret, being kind of open up the file, the secrets, uh, the things that we hide that maybe we don't uh, want to address or that maybe we'd like to address but we don't want to talk about. Some of the things we've been talking about, week one we talked about the secret that many of us have and that is dishonesty. Uh, the week after that, we looked at how there's the, the secret that many of you here are very insecure. Uh, the week after that, we, we tackled a very difficult subject of laziness. Last week, we talked about materialism and its grip that it has on many of us, uh, and we don't even realize it, or we realize it, but we don't want to talk about it. Today, we're going to start wrapping up this top secret series, and I want to talk today about a, about a, about a secret, about a confession uh, that we like to, we've been talking about confessions, that things that, um, that usually begin with the sentence, I've only told this to one other person, or I've never told this to somebody. That's usually how these top secret issues begin. Today, uh, a battle, a struggle that a lot of us today, something that is rally for many, and, the, and here it is. The truth is, is the top secret that we don't always live a holy life, and that we struggle with sin. And the some here, because of that, even think often about going back to your old life and wonder what it would be like just to not even try to live for God anymore. So we're going to tackle that secret that, that maybe is kind of underlying inside of your heart under the surface. And there's two reasons why uh, this is the case for some of you here. There's two reasons why you struggle with living a holy life or because you want to go back to your old life and you struggle with that. Here's two reasons. The first reason is this, that you're possibly not truly born again. Uh, you might think that you're something that you're not. And so the reason that you want to go back is because you're just going through the motions. You've just made a commitment, but you haven't truly allowed the Holy Spirit to, to regenerate your heart and your soul and your spirit. And the second reason, if this is you, is because you're just immature in that area. You don't understand who you are. So it's going to be one of those two today. And uh, before we walk and talk about a few of these uh, issues of struggling with going back to our own life, I want to, I want to tell you three things about following Jesus. And they're found in, in Luke chapter 9. Three things, a few thoughts on following Jesus. This is a, just laying the groundwork for us. Talk about the struggle with going back or the struggle with sin. And that is this. Uh, verse 57 says, As they, Jesus and the disciples, were walking along the road, a man said to him, Jesus, they said, Hey, Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, Foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Here's the first thing you need to know about following Jesus is that following Jesus will be inconvenient. Sometimes following Jesus means you don't know where your life has taken you. You don't know what is going on. Sometimes it means that you're going to struggle with things and you're going to struggle with possessions and the physical needs of this life because sometimes God takes you places and sends you places where, where there is struggle, where there is a lot of questions about provision. And sometimes you need to realize that following Jesus is not convenient. Sometimes it means you have to say no to a job. Sometimes it means you have to say no to that move. Sometimes it means you have to say no to that relationship or yes to that new habit that's going to help you in your walk with God. It is inconvenient to follow Jesus. That's what he's saying. 
And then he goes on to say this in verse 59. He said to another man, there was a crowd of people, and he said to another man, he pointed to him, and he says, follow me. Jesus invited this man. And, but this man replied, but Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Basically, he, that doesn't mean that his, his dad is dying. It basically just means that when my dad dies, when things slow down, when my responsibilities uh, with my family are over, when I get a chance, I will do that. And this is what Jesus said. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Now, he's not being disrespectful. He's basically saying this. This is the challenge is that following Jesus comes before all other activities. Jesus is saying that before work, before school, before your favorite hobby, before that sport, before that activity, uh, Jesus comes first. He says this very clearly. It's a big challenge to some of us. We've added Jesus to the mix of our life. Jesus doesn't want to be part of the mix. He's not a rung on the wheel. Okay, he's the center of the wheel. And, and a lot of us, we somehow think that if we just kind of add Jesus to our life, that somehow like add mixing chemicals, he's just going to make it better. Jesus doesn't, didn't come to make your life better. He came to take your life and to have complete control of it. And Jesus is saying there uh, to this man, he says, following me means that I come before all other activities. Well, still another man in verse 61 came up to Jesus and said, Jesus, I will follow you. Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, no one puts a hand to the plow and looks back. No one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. He's not saying you can't go back and say bye to your family, but he knew this person that if he went back, he was never coming back. That was the issue here. The issue is, Jesus, I will follow you, but you know what? I love you, but let me just, I might, you know, I just want to do what they want me to do. Here's the challenge, and this is a big one, is that following Jesus even comes before your family. And this is one of the big challenges because the church, the Christians, I mean, us Christians, we are all about family. We're pro-family, right? Man, spend time with family. Be with family. Family above all things. Yes and no. Yes, and that family is above everything on this earth, but however above your family is Jesus. And Jesus is saying, if you want to follow me, then you've even got to be willing to put me above your family. And he says, there are some, not just when it comes to family, there are some that when they put their hand to the plow to work for the kingdom of God, they look back. He says, that kind of person isn't fit to even walk with me. Why is that? Now, if you were a farmer, you'd know exactly what he was saying. If you're a farmer and you're, you're plowing a field and you're on a, on a cart or if you're walking behind two oxen and they're plowing your field and you keep looking back, you know what's going to happen every time you look back? That field is going to be all crooked. It's going to be all... It's going to be all a wee wall, it's, and it's not going to grow properly. It's going to uh, crowd, and it's going to confuse the crop, and it will even, uh, uh, um, you know, it will cause thorns. It will cause rocks. It will cause all kinds of things to disrupt the growth of that harvest. And Jesus is saying this, you've got to be willing to let go of a lot of things if you want to follow me. So those are just some basics of following Jesus. Three stories in one passage. Now, with that in mind, some of you say, well, I, I still struggle. 
And, and, I, and I'm not sure what to do about this walk. Uh, I've made a decision, but we find ourselves swinging back into our old routine. Why is it? Why that secret that maybe you don't want to talk about, that secret sin, that secret struggle, that, that desire to somehow go back to your old way of life? Why do you think this is? Well, Paul, to the church in Galatia, dealt with this very thing. So what we're going to do is we're going to spend the rest of our time this morning for the next few minutes on Galatians chapter 5. This group of churches in Galatia, which is currently, uh, it used to be Asia Minor, but it's Turkey today. So if you want to know where the churches of Galatia are, it's modern-day Turkey. So he's writing to these churches in Asia Minor, Galatia, and they're all new believers. And they came from this very diverse background all over Galatia. And they were struggling with going back to their old way of thinking. And Paul writes this letter of Galatians by his own hand. It's one of the few letters he actually wrote by hand. All the others were primarily dictated. But this is a letter that he sat down and he swiftly wrote out because of the the alarming concern that they were going back to their old way of thinking. Now, I suggest you read all of of Galatians this month. It's going to be a great book. It's a tiny little letter. It's only about that thick. And it's uh, just a few chapters. It's a handful of chapters. Let's look at at Galatians 5, verse 1 is where we're going to read today. The answer to why and how we can walk for Jesus is right here. Galatians 1, 5, he says, It is for freedom that Christ has set, Christ has set us free. Allah didn't set us free. Krishna didn't set us free. Muhammad did not set us free. Confucius did not set us free. Our ancestors did not set us free. Uh, our America, uh, you know, its independence and its thrive for, for freedom did not set us free. Meditation does not set us free. It is for Christ who set us free. Jesus is the liberator. Christ has set us free. And then he says, stand firm then. That means hold on to this truth. He says, don't be shaken in this. Christ has set you free. If you have made a decision to turn from yourself and turn to Christ, if you've said no to your ways and yes to his ways, if you have acknowledged that you are in need of Christ as a sinner and you have given your sins to Christ and acknowledged that The cross was payment for your sins. If you've truly done that, then what happens inside of you is you're deposited a gift. And that gift is called the Holy Spirit. And that spirit inside of you regenerates you and makes you brand new. And that, if that has happened, you are free. He said, Christ, and what he did on the cross has said, he has liberated us. Now listen, he says, don't be shaken. Stand firm in this. And do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. He says, don't go back to the same ways you did things before. Now, this was a farming term. He's saying, you know, like what you, when you plow a field, this kind of, see, this was an agricultural community. And so a lot of Jesus' illustrations had to do with farming. 
because that was the culture in which they lived. Some of us city folks, you don't have a clue as to what most of these terms are and what they mean. He says, don't go back to the yoke. A yoke is that ring that goes around an oxen as they plow the field. He says, that oxen carry a yoke. They labor and they pull and they strive. He says, don't go back to that striving labor. Don't go back to trying to earn your way to God. You're free in Christ Jesus. Turn to somebody and say, I am free in Christ. If you're not a Christian, then you can be free in Christ. I want you to know that. So Paul begins to give a personal and passionate response to not go back to that old way of thinking. That's the whole context of Galatians. Now, as we continue through Galatians, we're going to talk about a few things. And the first thing is this. He's going to talk about this walk that we have. So I want to talk about the walk of a follower of Christ. And he picks it up in verse 16 of Galatians chapter 5. He says this, So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Now, some of you, you're like, man, that's what I want. Because if we opened up the secret, top secret file folder, you're struggling with that sin. And your flesh is getting the best of you. And you kind of want to go back because it's easier just to give up than to push forward. But you are free. Establish that in Christ, you're liberated. You're free. But what about that struggle? Paul says this. He says, if you walk in the spirit, you won't give in to the desires or those temptations of the flesh. How many of you want that? I want that. Man, I've been wanting that ever since I've given my life to Christ and read that verse. Man, I've been trying to figure out that verse and what it means for me ever since I was 13 and said yes to Jesus. Here's the definition of walking in the Spirit. And we've talked about this in our Living the Way class. And a few years ago when we went through the book of Galatians, we talked about this. But I think this is something that really needs to be discussed today as we talk about being free from our old habits. And that is this. Here's the definition of walking in the Spirit. And that is to recognize the Spirit and to yield to His influence in your life. To recognize the Spirit. You see, to recognize the Spirit means to recognize that, first of all, the Spirit is in you. If you are truly born again, if you have been regenerated by Christ, you've been deposited with the Holy Spirit, and inside of you lives not the mediocre Spirit, not the average Spirit, not the weakest sin Spirit, but the Holy Spirit, whose desire is to make us Holy. We are called holy simply by saying yes to Christ. Now we are called to live holy. And we are given the Holy Spirit to empower us to do that. Now this Holy Spirit has been given to us. Recognize the Spirit. That, number one, if you're a Christian, He's in you. And number two, recognize when He taps you and moves you and convicts you and, and works in you to drop things and to bring in things. And to yield to his influence. So there's three things. Recognize if you're a Christian that he's in you. Number two, recognize his voice when he's talking and challenging, convicting. And number three, actually yielding to his influence in your life. That's walking in the spirit. And how can you tell if someone's walking in the spirit? Well, simple. You look a little bit more like Jesus every day. You see, this is something that's real uh, important that's missed in churches. And that is God has called Christians to be holy. 
Now, our actions do not make us holy. We are holy through the blood of Jesus Christ applied to our life. We are born again. Our sin nature is is put to death, and we are made alive in Christ. God doesn't make bad people good. He makes dead people alive. And what he does, he takes you and makes you alive in him, and he calls you holy. He looks at you. If you are a Christian and sees his son and the cross, he sees the blood, and he says, you are holy. But we are holy, but we are called and challenged to be holy as well. And that's a challenge because a lot of Christians think, well, I'm holy because of what Christ did, so I can now live like hell. And that's not what the Holy Spirit's work in our life is meant to be. It's not meant to bring this sense of lawlessness, but it's a sense of conviction to look more and more like Jesus every day, to walk in the spirit. If I were to walk from this end of the platform to that end of the, it wouldn't be like I'm boom there. It is a journey. It is a movement closer to my final destination. To walk in the spirit is a journey to your final destination to be more like Christ. So how do you know if someone's walking in the spirit? Well, we look a little bit more like him every day in our actions and in our life. The Holy Spirit's role is to promote Jesus, to empower us, to speak to us, to teach us, and to remind us of Jesus. When we walk in the Spirit, we look like Jesus. That's the walk. Here's the second thing, and that is there is a war going on in our life as well. He says this in the very next verse, that that Paul then describes an inner war, a battle inside of Christians. In verse 16, he he says, walk in the flesh, but in 17, he says this, but the The flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit. That means contrary means war. He said, but the flesh is at war with the spirit. And he says, and the spirit, what is contrary to the flesh. And the spirit is at war with the flesh. That means they don't get along. All right. Flesh, by the way, does not mean flesh and blood because we do not war against flesh and blood. My enemy is not you and my enemy is not my skin. My enemy is not my blood vessels. You know, the old days, you know, when the monastic movement really broke out in the uh, medieval times when there were monks and they were kind of traveling into the mountains and pursuing uh, a holy life, uh, they actually took these verses literal and what they, you know, we're going to read in a minute about per, uh, crucifying the flesh. And, and what they actually used to do was they used to torment and torture themselves. Every time they had a bad thought, they would cut themselves or hit themselves. They would, they would sacrifice literally their hunger, their sleeping. They would try to inflict pain on their physical body in order to be holy. This is, this is not what God is talking about. This is not what Paul is challenging us to do. The flesh is simply our selfish desires, the things that we crave, the things that that I want that bring me pleasure that are not in God's will for my life. They are in conflict with each other, verse 17 says, so so that you are not to do whatever you want. See, this is important. He says, we're free, but not free to do whatever we want because if we do that, the flesh wins. He says, but we need to not do what we want, but walk in the Spirit. Because there's a war. I want you to write this down. There's a battle going on between your flesh and your spirit. And I want to ask you a question today. Who's winning? Who's winning the battle today? For some of you, the top secret, the file's open, and you're saying, you know what? My flesh is winning. 
Some of you, your flesh has been winning and beating you to the ground, and you are struggling. And uh, if you don't realize that there is a war going on, you will lose it. Because if you don't recognize the war, if you don't recognize the, the enemy, if you don't recognize the, the contrary in that verse, then your flesh will win. If you have given your life to Jesus, your habits don't always follow. Would you agree with that? Sometimes you say yes to Jesus and you're made new inside, but you've developed these habits in your life that are with you for a while. And these habits, they are at war with the change going on inside of you. So a lot of times you want to do what is right. Like Romans 8 says, Paul says, the things I want to do, I don't do. And the things I don't want to do, I do. What a wretched man am I? Who's going to save me from myself? And then he says, Jesus Christ is because Jesus is the liberator. But some of us, we know exactly what this is like. We've said yes to Christ, but we're still struggling with those habits. It's because there's a war going on. So in light of this, Paul again says in verse 18, he says there's a war, and then he says this again. But if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. That means, the law means the rules, okay? There were, there were when you read the word law in the New Testament, it's primarily talking about the Old Testament rules and regulations. And you might think of just the Ten Commandments. But for them, there were over 700 laws, spiritual laws, that they were having to live by every day in order to feel accepted by God. And Paul is saying, guys, listen, if you can just walk in the Spirit, you don't have to worry about keeping a bunch of rules. You see, what we often do is our attempts to be holy are filled with don't do this, don't do that, don't do this, don't do that. We're going to talk about that in a second. He says, but the answer is not rules. The answer is walk in the Spirit, to recognize and to yield to the Spirit of God. So Paul then describes the works of the flesh. He says, this is now the walk, the war, now the work. Let's talk about the work of the flesh. He then begins to tell us four evidences or four categories of the flesh when it's at work in our life, all right? This is what he says. Uh, The acts of the flesh are obvious. We can't see the flesh, but we can see what it does in us, right? This is the idea. Again, we're not warring against flesh and blood when we say flesh. The war is an inside war against our selfish desires and our bad habits. He says, this is the evidence or the work of the flesh in a person, all right? This is what he says. They're evident. They're obvious. This is what they are. The first one, he says, the evidence is uh, in uh, the works of the flesh in our sex life. And he says this in verse 19. They're obvious. It's sexual immorality. Now, I want to define that word because that word is defined in a whole bunch of different ways. There's a Greek word there. It's called pornikeia. And you might recognize that, pornia, because that comes, uh, that gives us the word porn. Okay, and when you see the word sexual immorality, it's the Greek word pornea, which basically means all sex outside of God's plan for you. It doesn't just mean sex before marriage. It doesn't just mean intercourse. It doesn't just mean adultery. It covers sex outside of God's plan. That means sex outside of marriage. That means, uh, uh, you know, um, it means homosexuality. It means a sex that is not being fulfilled in order of God's plan and will for your life is pornea. You see, 
He didn't have to list all the sexual problems. He just had to say pornea, sexual immorality. A lot of us, we want, we're looking for that one definition so that we can have liberty in all these other areas. Paul says, hey, guys, just, these are just evidence. These are obvious acts of the flesh in our life, and that is one of them is sexual immorality, pornea. And then another one, he says, impurity. Now, the word impurity is also translated as uncleanness, and basically that means non-physical sexual sin. For instance, that might be dirty jokes, sexual talk, innuendos, uh, some, when your speech is very sexual in nature and it doesn't honor God's plan for our life. You may not be acting out anything, but that is called impurity in the Bible. And then the next one, he says, and debauchery. That word means lewdness, a flaunting of immorality, a shamelessness, immodesty. Debauchery is when somebody is, may, not, may not be acting or living out a sexual life, but they sure are uh, walking and, and dressing like they are. Now, you might say, man, this is like getting intense. He says, well, these are the acts or the evidence of the work of the flesh in our life. Uh, in the NIV, the, the word adultery is missing. Some of you guys might notice that. That is because the word is not found in many of the older transcripts, uh, in any of the older manuscripts, but it, it does actually fall under pornea. So Paul is saying the Holy Spirit will never walk you there. Here's the second category, is that the flesh is at work in our spiritual life. He says this. He says uh, it's also obvious When it comes to idolatry, he says in verse 20, that means placing anything above God. That means work, sports, a child, a hobby, a marriage, even yourself. If you place anything as a priority over God, that becomes an idol. And he says, you know what? The work of the flesh in your life is obvious because if you have idols in your life, then the work of the flesh is at work in you. He says, identify these. The human heart is an idol factory. Atheism is not the opposite of Christianity. Idolatry is the opposite of Christianity. And he goes, idolatry, and then he says, and witchcraft. Now, some of you guys have heard that word, witchcraft. Um, Basically, uh, just walk with me for a minute. That word there in the Greek is a word called pharmakeia. And does it sound familiar? It's where we get the word pharmacy. And whenever you see the word witchcraft or sorcery in the Bible, particularly sorcery, if it's the word pharmakeia, it means you're seeking enlightenment through chemical means, all right? Like someone who, like, like you know, uh, like uh, ancient Native American mysticism where they, they take opium in order to connect with spirits or uh, many religions and cults that take drugs or even a person that's not in a cult or a group that takes uh, drugs to somehow enlighten them uh, these drugs, spells, potions, or hallucinogens to seek spiritual direction, power, or peace from anything other than God, that is a lie, and that is pharmakeia, and the Holy Spirit will never lead you there. That's what Paul is saying. If you're walking in the Spirit, the Spirit will not take you there. And then here's the next one. The work of the flesh is also there in our relational life. He goes this in verse 20. He says, the acts of the flesh are obvious. He says, Hatred. That means an inner hatred of certain people. That means a racial prejudice or a predetermined prejudice against anybody. If someone just walks in the room, you're like, that person. You've got a 
flesh at work in your life. I think this is funny. I've said this before. A woman that is a real, uh, uh, that's fit, walks in and, you know, is pretty or whatever. Uh, the women go, who does she think she is? A guy walks in who's all fit and buff and walking in. Guy's like, that dude works out. He's cool. Because there's a sense of jealousy and insecurity in some people. That's called a work of the flesh in our life. Here's another one. He says in our relational life, it's discord. That means people who are, who are combative, who have an argumentative attitude, people that just like to argue. That's discord. That means they're seeking ways to, to divide. Uh, then there's uh, jealousy. That means an anxious desire for what others have. Some of you, you look at what others have and you think, I want that. And you, uh, it makes you so anxious that you spend all of your work hours, all of your time. You got pictures on your mirror of all the things you want. Fits of rage, that means you're unable to control your temper. Anger, outbursts. He says these are works of the flesh that hurt your relational life, your relationships. And then another one, he says selfish ambition. That's the deep pursuit of things just to satisfy yourself. You know, it drives me crazy when people go, you know what, it's time to put me first. You ever heard that? If I had a nickel for every time somebody said that, I'd be, you know, probably have a hundred bucks. Uh, I wouldn't be a millionaire. But some people say, you know, it's time to put me first. You know, I'm just, I just need to think. You know, I've actually heard people say, I just need to be selfish for a while. Have you ever heard somebody? Maybe you've said that. <laughs> I'm talking to you. You know, that's, it's called selfish ambition. That's a work of the flesh. And then another one he says is dissensions. That's people who, who are divisive, one who likes to drive a wedge between others. Another word that he uses as next is fractions. That means people who like to divide using theology. Uh, there is, we need to hold true to true theology, but then there are those who bring heresy, and that is a fraction. That is basically the word fraction is where we get the word heretic in the Greek, and that means people who lead others astray with theology. He says that is a relational poison. He says, and envy. That means wanting what you think you deserve. And you sit there going, why not me? Why can't I have a car like that? Why can't I have a house like that? You're not angry at somebody. You just want it really, really bad. Jealousy is where you're mad at them for having it. Envy is just where you feel like you somehow deserve better things in life. And it makes you so upset that that's all you can think about. Murder is not mentioned in the NIV for the same reason adultery isn't, is because it's not in some of the older manuscripts. But let me tell you something. Of these relational works of the flesh, the Spirit will not, will not walk you there. Here's the fourth thing. It says in your social life, and this is uh, things that you tend to do with others. And uh, there's two of them, drunkenness and orgies. Let me talk about drunkenness. Uh, in drunkenness, uh, you know what it means in the Greek? It's a really complex word. It means getting drunk. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I need a literal translation here. Um, it basically means getting drunk is an evidence that the flesh is at work in you. Okay, so if you have a habit of going out and getting drunk every now and then, then the, the spirit will not take you there. That's the flesh at work in you. And that's how you know. He says these are, this is evidence. This is the works of the flesh, he says, are obvious. And then this is one of them, drunkenness. And then orgies. No show of hands, but when was the last time you were there, right? Nobody, basically you think you're this like wild party, like almost like 
movie type. Basically, it just means unrestrained parties where anything goes and nobody remembers what happens. So if you guys have been to a party or two like that, he says that is not a place the Spirit will take you. See, the Holy Spirit will never lead you there. The world gives free reign to most of these things. But they're evidence of the inner war in our life, in our flesh. Sin as it war with the Spirit. And when we give our life to Jesus Christ, these things are at war in us. How do you respond to these things? Many people will read these and they'll instantly turn them into the do nots list, right? They'll turn it into do not be hateful, do not have discard, do not be jealous, do not get drunk, do not go to orgies. That's an easy one for some of you. Some of you say, well, don't, uh, do not do witchcraft, do not, uh, you know, be sexually pure, do not have sex before marriage. We somehow, we turn this list into a list of do nots. But you got to remember what he said. He said, to walk in the spirit is to not gratify the flesh. And he says, if you walk in the spirit, then you won't have to worry about the do nots. So a list of rules is not the answer here. The purpose of Paul giving this passage is not to tell you, don't do this. It's just the fruit that drops off the tree of a lost person. Paul is simply saying, this is what the flesh monster who wants to feed on our life looks like. And honestly, the flesh likes rules because we're terrible at keeping rules, aren't we? We make commitments and we break them. We make commitments and we break them. So the flesh, those desires, we're like, well, I'm only human. You know, that's what we tell. I'm not perfect. I'm just forgiven. We love those because we live our life based on rules and we give allowance to break those rules because we're not perfect or we're we're just human. So somehow those rules give us in our mind an excuse to continue some of those things. See, it's not about rules. This is never, walking with Jesus is, he said he set you free. You are liberated in Christ. You might be thinking, well, I'm just glad my sin wasn't mentioned. Aren't you glad your sin wasn't mentioned? Well, you know what Paul says? Paul adds, and the like. (laughs) That means he lists all these things and he says, and the others I haven't mentioned. You know what they are because you have one. And then he says, to name a few. And then he says this in verse 1, And I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this, those who live in a lifestyle of these kind of habits, someone who continually lives, this is not about isolated falls. This is not isolated struggle. I, I struggled, I messed up, I got drunk. This is about people who live in a lifestyle where they get drunk all the time or where they're, you know, I slipped up with my boyfriend or my girlfriend. It's not talking about you lost your salvation if you did that. It's talking about someone who accepts that and lives that life and you have no problem with that. That's the work of the flesh. He says it's those who live like this, not an isolated failure. He says, but those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. It's basically saying if this is your lifestyle, you need Jesus. That's all he's saying. This is not an intention to give us rules of what to stay away from. He's just saying if this is what your life looks like, you need liberation. You need Jesus and you're not going to heaven, and you need him, and he loves you so much. This is evidence that you've not received God's spirit if you live like this. So it's not that we will never fail, but that will we stay there, or will we give excuses for that behavior? Change allows and follows salvation. So what's the answer to the flesh? Well, remember, 
Paul said this in 5.16 of Galatians. He says, walk in the spirit and you won't gratify the desires of the flesh. So walk in the spirit and you don't have to worry about all that stuff. Now, you give your life to Christ, you're deposited with a gift called the Holy Spirit, and he's yours. It's the Spirit of God. It's God in you, walking in you. Just as the flesh has evidence, Paul goes on to say that there's also evidence of the Spirit. There's evidence of the work of the flesh, and there's evidence of the work of the Spirit. And this is what he says. This is the work now of the Spirit. Evidence God is at work in you. How do you know if God's working in you? Well, here we go. He says this, but the fruit or the evidence of the Spirit is this. Now, I want you to notice this. He says, but the fruit is a singular word. That means it's not like these things that we're going to give. It's not like he's given you one and given you one and given you one. This is the fruit of the Spirit. If you have the Spirit, God wants to work all of these inside of you. Okay, this is not, well, I'm working on that one, and that's for somebody else. That's not the way I was born. That's not the way I was raised. That's not my personality type. It doesn't matter. Because if the Spirit of God is in you, these will be worked through you, okay? So this is important. Now, I have an orange here, and I like oranges. And uh, I'm going to peel this, but I, you know, I have to do this, okay? But you have to get, get, to the, get to the good stuff. Now, I'll tell you, uh, more than any other smell on the earth, I think I love oranges best. You know, my, my, I'm wearing, in fact, I'm wearing lotion today. Yes, I wear lotion. And uh, I, have, I have a skin condition. Give me a break. Um, and the lotion is um, kiwi orange. So, yes, that just sounds good, doesn't it? So here's the deal. I love oranges. Mm. I love the smell of oranges. I love the taste of oranges. And there's just something about an orange. And let me tell you, it smells good. It has textures. It has uh, layers, it has flavors, it brings nourishment, it has seeds, it grows, and it reproduces itself. Uh, you know, this, I want you to imagine, is the fruit of the Spirit. Because there's this sense that it's not just about a thing, it's about letting God unpeel the best of you and, and replenishing and growing and maturing and planting and reproducing yourself and others. I'm going to come back to this orange in a minute. He says, we are like these oranges. We have a fruit that is to come from us. He says in verse 22, he says, but the fruit of the spirit is this. He says, the first one is love. You guys know that fruit. You've heard it before. The word there is agape. That means a mindful caring and affection for others. It's an action-oriented. It's not an empathy. So I'm like, man, I sure do love you guys. sure do love you. That's empathy, you know, where you just feel for them and you, you're kind of hurting for them. But that's not love. Love is an action. What can I do for you guys? And I'm going to do something. And here I am. I've showed up. I'm at your house. Here's a meal. Let me drive you to the hospital. Let me show up. Let me let your dogs out. Let me, let me, uh, you know, fix your car. You know, I had some, some guys show up and love me, uh, last, uh, week and a half ago, a couple weeks ago, because one of our cars broke and they, they showed up and they loved on me by fixing my car, my driveway. I'm not, I'm not skill set like that. And these guys are, you know what? That was love. That was agape. You know what they got out of it? hot, sweaty clothes, and oil-stained seats, right, on their pants. But you know what? That was love. Because love is not empathy. It's not, I'm sorry, I'm not. Love is not, I'm praying for you. Love is an action. And he says, the fruit of the Spirit is action-oriented 
caring and affection. It's the number one fruit of a follower of Christ. It's the number one evidence, and it's the first change that happens in a true follower of Christ. I've seen people who are hateful, angry, mean, and they've said yes to Christ. And it's like, boom, the spirit of God makes them this caring, loving, action-oriented person. They still cuss like a sailor. They still struggle with smoking. They're still struggling in other areas of their life. But you know what? Love has taken a hold of their life because the fruit begins to drop from the tree of the spirit of God in them. So the fruit of the spirit is love, he says. He goes on to say, now I want you to think about this for a second. All of those other things that we listed on the flesh, all those things are counterfeits to love. Think about this, sexual immorality, impurity, and lewdness. It's counterfeits of love for people. Idolatry and and witchcraft, it's counterfeits to the love of God. Hatred, anger, jealousy, envy, divisions, murder, those are the opposites of love. Drunkenness and wild parties, well, they're the attempts to fill the void that only love can fill. All of those actions and works of the flesh are counterfeits to the love of God. You see, well, you see, when the Holy Spirit takes over and love is an action, it's not like, well, I have to love somebody. Remember, these are not rules. It's not like I have to be loving. It's this. It's like, I don't want to worship other things, not because it's a rule, but because I love God. And I don't want to cheat on my wife, not because it's a rule that I can't cheat on my wife, but because I love my wife. And I, and I don't lose my temper because I have to keep calm and I have to be nice, but because I love my kids. And I don't get drunk because it's a rule, but because I love you. And I don't want to cause you to stumble. See, love is the motivation and the fruit of the Spirit that changes everything. And the rules don't matter once you let love rule the actions of your life. The following evidence, he goes on to say, describe what love in action looks like. He says, the fruit of the Spirit is this. The evidence is this. Love, joy. That means regardless of the circumstances, you don't lose hope in how good God is. There's peace. That means that you have rest and safety in the storms of life. That means the storm, your finances might be going down the drain, and your family might be in complete chaos, but you have peace because the Spirit of God in you is giving you rest and safety. Patience, that means understanding that God is at work in you and in others. So you have patience with others, not because I have to be patient with you, but because you understand that God is still working on them and he's still working on you. And kindness, man, I love kindness because it's an agent of God in action. It's acting out and living the life of, of, of kindness. It's walking like Jesus' goodness. That means moral integrity. That means you, you live morally, you stand for what is morally right, but you couple that with love. So you're not an angry, you know, banner-waving, sign-pounding, but you stand for what is right, and you let love guide your actions. But you are morally convicted and have integrity. Faithfulness, that means you're faithful to God, but you're also reliable, loyal, and faithful with others around you and with your commitments. That's a fruit of the Spirit. Gentleness, that's when you mirror how Jesus treated people. Man, men, you look a lot like Jesus when you answer your kids gently and your friends gently and your wife gently and your coworkers gently. That's a fruit of the Spirit. He says, and self-control, that means the flesh is not your master. The Spirit is. And against such things, he says, there's no law. 
That means if you walk in the Spirit and these things are dropping off the tree of your life, he says, then guess what? You don't have to worry about the do-nots and the rules and, and all that sort of stuff. How do we go from works of the flesh to the fruit of the Spirit? How do we go from the flesh to the fruit? How do we do? Well, many religions, uh, they, they try commitment. They try meditation. They try make a plan. You know, set some rules, set some boundaries, set some disciplines. You know, make some promises. Read this book. Talk to a counselor. Uh, you know, this TV program, this video, this substitute with this substitute. Don't do this, but do that. Read this manual. Keep a journal. We tend to turn... All of this into do and do not rules. See, the fruit of the Spirit is not a list of do's. This is important. We're not to to do love. We are to be loving by the Spirit of God working through us. We're not supposed to just, you know, I need to be patient. We let the Spirit of God rule in us and we end up being patient. I, I, just, I need to get my temper under control. No, you need to just let the Spirit of God work in you, and you're going to find that your temple problems, your temple problems are going to be further and further away from you. By the way, the works of the flesh can come up in different ways. Some of you are like the works of the flesh aren't just getting drunk, but it can also not getting drunk and being boastful and prideful about not drinking. See, the work of the flesh can show up in many different ways. So how do we go from flesh to fruit? This is how he says it in verse 24. He says, those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. This does not mean that you self-torture like we talked about earlier. Paul could have said, kill the flesh. But he used one of the most intense words ever in the human language, and that is the word crucify. We kind of oversimplify the word and we think of the crucifixion, but crucify means excruciatingly painful death. It's a painful death that reminds us that killing the flesh monster inside of us will also at times be painful and the sin goes kicking and screaming. And let me tell you something, unless you rescue someone from a crucifixion, that crucifixion is the end of their life. That's why Christ was crucified. He didn't just swoon on the cross. He didn't just pass out and, you know, and, and black out for three days. The cross killed him. It crucified him. Excruciatingly torturous death. And Paul is saying we need to put to death and never bring it back again. It is over when it's crucified because we tend to rescue our sin, don't we? We tend to kind of, I need to not do that. And then we put it out over there. And we're not to just stop doing that. We need to kill it. We need to crucify it. We need to slay it. We need to starve it. We need to put it to death. Some of us, we have a problem. We like to coddle and play and feed our sin at seasons because we feel like we deserve it. We, it, it, it's, it, we owe it to ourselves. We, you know, we've had a, a tough week, a tough time, a tough life. Life has been hard. I just, I need this. I deserve this. I should be allowed to do this. And we coddle. We use our sin to satisfy our flesh. No, Paul says, crucify it. Slay that beast. Put it to death. Don't let it ever come back. How do we do that? Crucify the flesh with its passions and its desires. I want you to write this down. You will either put to death your sin or your sin will be the death of you. Christ crucified our sin nature. We are to crucify our flesh, our habits. That old man's sin nature had a son. That son is those habits that we can't shake loose. Paul says, starve it, stab it slay it, poke it, nail it to the cross of Christ. 
Realize this, you won't defeat the flesh by focusing on it. You defeat the flesh by focusing on the spirit. I have this piece of tape. I want want to illustrate this real quick. We're running out of time here. Here's what we tend to do. I've used this in some of our other teaching classes. Here's what we do. We like to form a line. And we like to say, this is all the bad stuff, the fruit and the works of the flesh. This is the stuff that we need to stay away from, right? This is the having sex before marriage, and I know that's hard and all, but, you know, what I got to do, you know, stay pure. You know, this is drunkenness is over here. I like it. You know, it's just fun. But I'm not supposed to do it. So we have this area of bad stuff. I shouldn't be mad. I shouldn't punch my wall. You shouldn't punch your wall. I shouldn't slam doors. I shouldn't lie. I shouldn't cheat. I, could, I shouldn't be deceptive. You know, I, sh- I shouldn't watch porn, whatever. This is all the stuff over here. And then this is the line where what rules do. We draw a line. That's sin. That's the do nots. Whenever we create do nots, what do we do? We get as close to the do nots as we possibly can, Right? Well, sex before marriage is not what God's plan is, but what is really sex, right? Is it intercourse? Is it foreplay? Is it all the other stuff? So we define what sex before marriage is. It's just intercourse. So everything else but intercourse is cool as long as I'm not over there where intercourse is. I'm okay because I haven't crossed the line of the rule, right? So what we do is we make these rules. We're like, if drunkenness is not God's plan for you, then what do we, we try to drink as much as we can until we're not quite drunk. We're a little tipsy, right? But we're not drunk. So what we do is when we cross a line, when we create lines of do nots, then we tend to walk that line as much and as close as we can. But the problem with that is, is that we're terrible at keeping rules. And you know what we tend to do? fall. <laughs> We're like, I shouldn't get drunk. Oh, but I did tonight. Oh, God, forgive me. I'm not perfect. Just forgiven. Right? Like I shouldn't have sex, but we're making out and things are getting crazy. Oh, we accidentally, oh man, thankfully we didn't get pregnant. God was with us. <laughs> I've even had people go, I shouldn't have sex, but we had sex and we had a baby. It must be from the Lord because every baby is a, a blessing from God. That is true. Children are a blessing from the Lord. That doesn't mean that's his plan for you at this time in your life, but it might be a blessing for somebody else if you want to keep that child. But here's the point. You should keep that child. At least give that gift to somebody else if you can't raise it yourself. But here's the point. Is that when we draw a line, we fall, right? So he's not saying the answer to gratifying the spirit, or to to not gratifying the flesh is the do nots. He says this, but the answer is walking in the spirit. Check this out. He says, he says this, walking in the spirit. Don't chase the effects. You know, I need to stop drinking. I need to stop lying. I need to stop gossiping. Chase Jesus and the flesh dies along with its effects. You see, if this is sin, Jesus is over there. And the answer is not rules, but to just know Jesus, right? And as we walk towards Jesus, if we walk in the spirit and follow his leading, you know what naturally happens? We don't gratify the works of the flesh. 
See, we spend our whole life struggling with sin because we're trying to not do things. And the answer is not to not do things, but to walk in the Spirit, walk with Jesus. Walk towards Jesus. Chase the things of Jesus. Listen and recognize and acknowledge and yield to the Spirit's influence to know Jesus. He says, when that happens, you won't gratify the works of the flesh. I want you to write this down. God is not a principle we live by. He is a person we live with. I skipped a verse. Look at this, verse 24. Those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep continually in step with the Spirit. You see, we crucify the flesh, meaning those things are dead to me. Now I'm going to walk with Jesus. I'm going to continually pursue. And when we walk, we stumble. But Jesus, he's quick to pick us up. Walking in the Spirit is not a one-time sign a card, go to camp, raise your hand, hand, you know, deal. It's a keep in step, daily walk. God is not a principle we live by. He is a person we live with. Spend time with Jesus and you end up looking like Jesus. When we try to looking like Jesus without being with him, we fail. Paul ends with this in verse 26. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. That seems like a weird verse to put in there after all this walk in the spirit stuff. But here's what it means. Don't compare yourself to others. Don't look at others and try to grade your walk with God with their walk with God. And why can't I be strong like them? Why can't I be free like them? You know, or on the other side, if you're free from something, don't look down and condemn and judge those that are not. He says, don't become conceited because you have found victory over those things of the flesh and don't provoke each other to envy and, and want to be like you. He says, why can't, uh, you know, we, well, I be like them. Why, why can't they be like me? This is what he's saying. He's saying, don't judge your life according to someone else's life. I want you to write this down. Remember, becoming more like Jesus is a process. It's a process. It's not automatic. I want you to tell you something about this fruit, this orange. Oranges are pretty amazing because fruit often develops slowly. Did you know once you plant an orange tree, it can take up to two to three years for, for, for oranges to drop off that fruit tree, off that orange tree? For some of you, that flesh monster is pretty big, and it may take a couple of years for you to really drop some of that beautiful fruit of the Spirit off your life. Fruit cannot be achieved by force. It must grow. Fruit is something that daily must be nourished and, and, and watered and something that is continually in motion daily, monthly, yearly. And the idea is that maybe a year from now, you look a little bit more like Jesus than you did today. And today you look a little bit more like Jesus than you did a year ago. And this is the beauty, Philippians 1, 6. And I want to end with this and pray with you. Is that I want you to do what Paul says to the church of Philippi. He says, be confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. Some of you guys, you want to know, God, are you still working in me? Yeah, he is. God, I'm still struggling. God, are you still there? Yeah, he is. He says, just walk towards me, chase me, walk in the spirit. See, here's the golden question. Here's the million dollar question. How do we resist sin? We can't. But Jesus in you, the spirit of God in you can. Okay? That is how that top secret of the struggle of sin in your life can be overcome. There's no three-step plan. There's no fill-in-the-blank solution. There's no one-size-fits-all. Remove the clutter. 
Listen to him and let him take the lead. So the next time you're struggling in your faith, grab an orange, get your Bible, and spend some time with God. I want to pray for you. God, thank you so much that you've called us to live a life of holiness. God, I pray that, Lord, we would, through the fruit of the Spirit, Lord, understand the work of God in our life, that some, of, some people here, God, they struggle because they're not a follower of Christ, but they follow a religion called Christianity. But God, you're not a religion. You're not a belief system to live by. You're a person to walk with. So God, I pray that you'd help us to understand what it means to walk with you by your spirit. If, if you're here today and, and you've never said yes to Christ, why don't you just take a moment and say, Jesus, here's my life. Here's my sin. Here's my struggle. Here's my habits. I've grown up my whole life thinking that living for you was rules. But now I know, Jesus, it's not. It's freedom. But God, I want to walk with you. So teach me how. Go ahead and talk to him. Jesus, forgive me of my sin. God, I want to start over. Some of you have been struggling with the same sin for years, and this is a great time for you to right now. The Spirit of God's moving in you, convicting you. Will you yield to the Spirit? Will you recognize Him and yield to the Spirit and recognize that it's sin in your life and give that over to the Spirit? Give that over to, the, to Jesus. God, thank you for forgiving me, Jesus. Here's my sin. Help me to walk with you in Jesus' name. Amen. It's, uh, it's, here's where you can start. Uh, I skipped this part. You don't have to show the slide. It's what we started the week on. You need to confess to God and confess to the right people. Some of you, confessing to God will forgive you, but confessing to the right people will heal you. Some of you, you have a sin, a struggle, a battle that you need to talk to another Christian about. And uh, that is going to bring healing where you're going to see that struggle, that as you walk with another person filled with the Spirit, that's a way of walking with the Spirit with another Christian, okay? Some of you guys need to do that today. All right, thank you. Thank you for listening to the Living with Church podcast. If you enjoyed this message, we hope you come visit us in Garland, Texas. For directions and more information about the church, go to www.livingwaychurch.cc.